Remember, freedom is a gift from God. Choose to accept it, guard it, nourish it, share it with your loved ones. Don't let anyone take it from you. Choose to be free. Learn how to choose freedom with your host, Dr. Baruch Platner. One of the fav most favorite phrases of our conservative commentators is, let that sink in. And there's a lot to sink in. There's a lot to let sink in, isn't there? Boys can pretend to be girls so they can fondle actual girls on wrestling mats across the country and take their trophies away after all the hard work they put in. We let that sink in. Men can marry men. Was, un was unthinkable throughout most of American history, but now we have to let it sink in. The Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court, John Roberts, supposedly a conservative, put in place, appointed by supposedly a conservative president, George Walker Bush, sides with the minority nearly all the time, most recently to allow Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, to keep churches closed, of all things. We let that sink in. Whites, liberal whites, Antifa, are burning black businesses across the country, and the progressives are blaming us, conservatives, for it, of all colors. We let that sink in. Well, let me tell you folks, my tank is full. I don't want to let anything more to sink in there. In fact, I want to purge it. I want to get that tank empty. I'm done. I'm done letting things sink into my tank. I'm done with craziness, with stupidity, with insanity. I'm done with the new normal. In fact, I don't even want normal. I want the old normal. I want things to go back to how they were, say, circa 1955, when America was motherhood and apple pie, when men married women, when boys were boys and men were men, as they said in that TV show, All in the Family. I mean, that was America, wasn't it? And what do we have today? We have some sort of... A, progressive hell in the making. And let me tell you, I, I was born in the Soviet Union, I know a lot about what progressive hell holes look like, and that's what makes it really so difficult for me to accept that America is well on its way to becoming a progressive, communist, neo-Bolshevik hellhole like the Soviet Union used to be or like China is today and so on. So, but that's, you know, that's kind of what's happening. And we see it with those riots. I mean, criminals running in the street of, streets of America, burning stuff down. And it wasn't, you know, it wouldn't be that bad if that's really all that was happening. But what makes it much worse is that America is split down the middle, isn't it? Half of us are looking at this stuff that's happening on the streets and we're saying, wait a second, this beautiful country, the best in the world, 
And by the way, you know, growing up in the 70s and in, in Israel and uh, before that, uh, in, a, in, a, in the latter part of the 60s in the Soviet Union and all through the 80s, America was the place to be. Everybody looked up to, to America. America was it. Americans were it. Americans were the best and everybody knew it. It was the absolute marker of excellence, of freedom, of prosperity. But now, half of America is hell-bent on destroying all of that and bringing America down. Um, Obama, of course, was the poster child for this, but he didn't start this globalist, let's bring America down to the level of the rest of the world idea that wasn't born with Obama but right now it's taking on some extreme proportions and we have half of America is looking at what's happening on the streets of our cities and is cheering it on. These people are not criminals, they're protesters. They are within their rights, they say, to go burn stuff and hurt people, innocent people, business owners, people who like that firefighter put worked hard their entire lives to put together enough dollars to make their dreams come true and open that sports bar. They burn to the ground, burn to the ground, and half of America is absolutely fine with it. Oh, he has insurance, they say. The fact that his dreams are shattered and not everything can be put into dollars, that matters nothing to them. It means nothing to them. It's just burn it all down. Burn it all down, they say. And what are we saying, the conservatives, we're traditionalists, we're saying, wait a second, what's going on here? Well, I'll tell you what's going on. Uh, unfortunately, half of America is the people that vote for the so-called Democratic Party, but in actuality, a progressive, neo-Bolshevik, totalitarian organization who has made it its goal, or that has made it its goal to destroy America, as we know it, to destroy, to nullify and destroy the Constitution, to bring America down to the level of any other totalitarian dictatorship, to take away our God-given rights and freedoms as much as they possibly can. That's what half of America wants to do. And this half of America is well supported. It's well supported by every American elite organization from the academia, through the court system, through the churches even, I mean, that's the amazing part. What's the point of religion? What's the point of a church, a synagogue, if not to ground us in traditionalism, to connect us to our past, to hold us fast to those eternal truths that are in the Bible and the Holy Scripture? If they're not doing that, then what are they doing? Are they serving God? 
I mean, with those progressive values, they're not. And yet, President Trump, who, by the way, I, I was among those that thought should be more communicative about what's happening, and, and not in the sense that he should order the military <clears throat> to do this or that and nuke, quote-unquote, the protesters. Not at all, because that could very well be exactly what the progressive want him to do. But I just thought that Trump should be more in the leadership, in that, in that, in that visible leadership position, lead by example, provide us with some tangible proof that he is there fighting for us. Well, guess what? Yesterday, he's done just that. And he was out there. He gave a great speech. He crossed on foot, un unprecedented. Left, well, in, in modern times, left the front door of the White House and crossed Lafayette Park over to that church that only by the grace of God didn't burn down to the ground when those insane lunatics set fire to it. And he stood there with the Bible in his hand and a stern look on his face, which I, I'm sure he meant it. He wasn't acting. And I thought it was great. I mean, most people on our side, all, all the people on our side, thought that was fantastic. That was through courage, through leadership. That's what we needed. And yet, <clears throat> the other half of America, right, they're watching this totally different movie. They're looking at this and they say, oh, this idiot, this empty suit, this imposter, this racist, he had the police tear gas and rubber bullet innocent protesters attack them, assault them, just so that he could go and have his worthless photo op and incite violence with his quote-unquote base. That's the movie that the other half of America is watching. Eh? But the interesting part to me is that the, 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 the bishop, the Episcopal Bishop of D.C., to, to which diocese this church belongs, he, or I think it may be she, actually came out against President Trump and in support of the protesters, of the criminals that set fire to her own church. And the priest who is in charge of that church did the same exact thing. Right? So the organized religion, Christianity, and Judaism, by the way, in America, is as progressive as anything. And that's, in other words, they completely betray their mission. They're worthless, useless. And yet they're up there. Those are the bishops the chief rabbis of synagogues and so on, especially in the reformed movement. Um, I mean, all the elites in America, I mean, the FBI, the military, the law enforcement. The military is the big question, right? But when it comes to law enforcement like the FBI, we know the answer because the FBI was the leader of the attempted coup d'etat against President Trump. The top echelon of the FBI did not do what it was put in place to do, which was defeat that coup and arrest the criminals and charge them with the crime of sedition at the very least, 
with support from outside forces in the world. Instead, they joined, they were among the leaders of that coup. The entire top echelon of the FBI. And people say, well, it's just the leadership. And I say, no. How do you know that? How do you know that? Who hires the lower ranks? Huh? The leaders do. Do you think they hire patriots when they themselves wish nothing but the destruction of America? Do you think they hire people who think the opposite of them? I don't think so. When you open that yogurt container and you see that green scum on top, like it's been in your fridge, you know, for a month past its due date, do you just scrape off that, that mold and dig in, you know, yum, yum, tasty? I don't think so. I think you just take that container, go like, oh my God, and throw it right in the garbage. Well, shouldn't that be what we do with our FBI at this point? And where the American military is, we don't know. We hope it's on our it's on our side, but who has been hiring, who has been promoting for the top positions there? You know, it's easy to bury our heads in the sand and say, oh, for example, like General McMaster, who was in the Trump administration for a while, and we say, oh, he's bad. He's he's a total globalist progressive. Same thing with John Kelly. Well, if you say that about these two generals, then why, why would you assume that other generals still very much in active duty are on our side? That would be, to me, a tenuous uh, assumption at, at best. I'm not a believer in that. I'm sure there are good folks in the military, but I don't know that they're in majority. I don't know that they are among the top leadership now. The truth of the matter, my friends, is that this war for the soul of America, for the continued existence of America, for the survival of America as a constitutional republic that guarantees the God-given rights of, of its citizens, that fight has not been going well for us. It's been going very well for our enemies. Our enemies, the progressive left, the communists, the Bolsheviks, they, uh, they are on the winning side. They managed to indoctrinate our children, our grandchildren. They took over all the important institutions in America, all of them. Um, they boiled us like the proverbial frogs. They taught us to let more and more stuff sink in, just accept it. Things that were utterly unthinkable just a few years ago. Now, if you, if you say, well, wait a second, what the hell is this? You're a racist, you're beyond the pale. Sexist, you name it. So we've been losing. And we may yet lose. I mean, yes, we should keep fighting, of course. Of course we should keep fighting. But we may have to take that fight in a different direction. Uh, you know, 
assaulting tanks with samurai swords or spears is never a good idea. There's no honor, there's no glory in that. It's only stupidity. And we know that from history, from the Poles that tried to do that against the Germans in 1939 and the Japanese that tried to do that against America in 1944-1945. Never works. Sometimes when you're about to lose, you have to recognize that fact and gear up to, towards survival. We need to keep our freedoms even when externally everything conspires against us. And there's ways of doing that. Coming from the Soviet Union, I know that even in a totalitarian environment, it is possible to be free. It just takes more effort. And there's a certain skill set even that is associated with that. And it, you know, this show, Choose to be Free, will be all about that. We will give you tangible, actionable advice on how to remain free when everything conspires to enslave you how to do that and starting with this next segment in this our first inaugural show we will get into that americaoutloud.com is the voice of liberty and justice for all well, as we celebrate our four-year anniversary thank you for making it all possible we are a grassroots movement of patriots, blogs, podcasts, video, and 24-7 talk radio on our free apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. We are the vision of The Voices, America Out Loud Talk Radio. Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health. Sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age, and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep. But it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multinutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa. Award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. Folks, I have a confession to make. I don't give a damn about George Floyd. I don't care about him. I don't care about his life. I don't care about his death. I simply don't give a damn about anything relating to George Floyd. And let me tell you why, and there's a number of reasons. The most fundamental reason is that we, as human beings, are not really set up to care about every other human being out there. There are multiple deaths, violent deaths, all over the world, in America, in our city, if we live in a big enough city, every minute of every day. 
we are not set up, it is not possible for us as human beings to care about any of these deaths, whether they're violent or not violent, whether they're senseless or whether they're deserved, uh, whatever they may be, we simply are not equipped with a large enough heart, if you want to say that, with a large enough capacity to care about anyone but two categories of people. One is our close family, perhaps our extended family, our co-workers, our friends, sometimes the members of our tribe, however we define it, could be a military unit, uh, could be again our workplace, our co-workers, people in our neighborhood, people in our school, our children's school, and so on. The other category are people who had exceptional lives, whether to the good side or the bad. And when you talk about somebody like uh, Adolf Eichmann, the Nazi war criminal who was tried and executed in Israel after the Mossad snatched him from South America. I cared about his death. It happened before I was born, but I care about his death to this day. It makes me happy that he met the end that he so richly deserved. At the same time, when I think about the police captain, I believe Mr. Dorn, who was murdered brutally as a result of these riots. I care about his death because he was an upstanding citizen, because he cared about the community, because he devoted his life to making the lives of Americans safer, and because he had such a senseless death that is representative of this idiotic, senseless, and criminal violence that we are experiencing right now in America and could be soon across the globe. Mr. Floyd did not lead such a life. He chose to waste the enormous privilege that was bestowed upon him by the virtue of his being an American citizen, being born into the most prosperous, the freest country on earth, regardless of race and color. And he, uh, he may have been good to his friends and family. I don't know much about him, but certainly his life was unremarkable and his death was also unremarkable because it was the product potentially of an overzealous police officer who from what I've seen has had issues of that kind before, but was never disciplined by his superiors for those types of excesses. And so if anything, this was a failure of the local police department. It was the failure of uh, Mr. Floyd to lead a law-abiding, productive life. And these things happen in America routinely, whether you're black, white, or any other color of the rainbow. So let me repeat, 
I do not care, I do not give a damn about Mr. George Floyd, his life, his death, or anything else that has to do with him. Okay, I just really, honestly, I don't. Now, here's the thing. It seems to me that somehow, in the current culture in America, we are supposed to care about Mr. Floyd's uh, death. We are supposed to care deeply about it for whatever reason. But what I'm saying, there is no reason. The reason we are supposed to care about his death is not a reason. There is a goal behind and there is an objective behind and that objective is to enslave us even further. It is to take away our freedoms, including our freedom of expression. It is to further the descent of America into a progressive, totalitarian, neo-Bolshevik, globalist hellhole. And in that sense, the unfortunate Mr. George Floyd, who didn't amount to anything during his life, is becoming quite a dangerous figure after his demise. So, I promised to you, my listeners, in the previous segment, that I will try to impart on you some of the wisdom that I have received uh, in my brief tenure in the Soviet Union and later on being immersed in the experiences that my parents and their friends, who spent many more years in that particular hellhole. I would like to share those experiences with you and give you some tools how to resist being enslaved, how to remain free, how to choose to be free, should you want to do it. So I would say this, let's try a little exercise. If, and only if, if you, like me, do not give a damn about Mr. George Floyd, why don't we say it together, and if you are in a place where you can say it out loud without getting fired or without getting dirty looks or whatever, then I would suggest that you repeat it out loud. If not, you can just repeat it to yourself in your head. And, let's, and, and we are going to say it, and I'm going to say it with my name and my parents' name, and you can substitute your name and your parents' name. So here we go. I, Baruch Pletner, son of Sophia and Ishai Pletner of blessed memory, do not give a damn about Mr. George's, George Floyd's life or death. Okay? Now, maybe you guys have repeated it, maybe you have not. But if you believe it, if that's how you feel, say it. Say it to yourself. Say it to those friends of yours who you believe can be trusted not to rat you out to the PC police at your workplace or elsewhere. Say it to your children, your wife, your parents, your spouse, your husband, over dinner table. Say it. It's your right as Americans to say whatever the hell you want, and if that's how you feel, then say it. Okay? Do not let them force you into 
suppressing your beliefs, suppressing your thoughts, and somehow accepting things that you do not want to accept. You, you, there's no reason for you to do so. Okay? Now, what you may want to do, and believe me, my parents, when I was, and I remember this well, even though I left the Soviet Union, I was only 10 years old, but I remember very well that my parents, pretty much every night, they had these discussions where they ripped into the Communist Party of the Soviet Union and called the, their leaders Brezhnev and Gromeko and all of these guys, every name in the book. And then they would look at me and say, but Baruch, you know that you cannot repeat that in school, right? And I knew that I couldn't because I would get not so much myself, but them into deep trouble. I could get them uh, fired from their jobs and so on. And so America, unfortunately, is in that exact same place. If you're around the dinner table, repeat that you don't give or say that you do not give a damn about Mr. Floyd's death, okay, then you should then say to your children, instruct them to never ever repeat that in school because they can get themselves and you in serious trouble. And me saying that and the fact that this is true shows you to how deep America has sunk, how far America has moved from being a free society, from being a constitutional republic. It shows you how irrelevant, really, the Bill of Rights is now. Okay? Because we are not free to speak our minds without consequences. Okay? And I'm not talking about incitement to violence or any other speech that, of course, should be restricted in terms of libel and, again, incitement to specific violence against specific people. And we, we all know that there are certainly limits uh, to, to, to what we can say from, and, and the founding fathers would agree with that, but that's why there were libel laws and so on. Uh, you know, yelling fire at the crowd in a crowded theater just because you felt like it and so on. That's not what I'm talking about here. This is like, I personally don't care about Mr. Floyd. I don't. Okay. Well, that's a legitimate opinion. However, if I dare say it, if, if you know, I, I could get in America today, I'd be doxxed, fired from my job, lose my livelihood, you name it. And that's, how, and that's no different, really, than the Soviet Union. Especially the Soviet Union that I knew in its kind of latter stages, later stages, where, you know, if you, if you said stuff like that, it's not like you would be put in prison and tortured or sent to the gulag. Not, not really. That was kind of true maybe in the 30s. But in the 70s, the 60s, 70s, 80s, it was more so like just like in America today. You'd lose your job. You'd be ostracized. You couldn't find another job. If you have kids in high school, university, they could lose their uh, position at the university and so on. It's sad, really. But let's continue along this line and let me say something else. I do not differentiate between the so-called peaceful protesters and the violent rioters, one bit. I hate them both absolutely equally 
and consider them both to be equally dangerous to the American Republic and to freedom in America. And I'll, I'll tell you why. The violence is bad, but a few broken windows, a few looted stores, and even real tragedies like loss of life or bodily injury um, are not going to bring America down. Okay, so that's not what's going to destroy this immense and powerful country. What is going to destroy it, what is now well on its way uh, to destroying it, is not that small-time violence. It's actually the protesters. They're the more dangerous. Why? Because what are they protesting? Okay, they're protesting the actual American Republic, the foundations of the Republic. They're protesting things like the Electoral College. They're protesting the legitimate landslide election of the current president, President Trump. They're protesting the very foundations on which America was founded and they want to see those foundations destroyed and America with them, or at least America as we know it. So these people who just march and they're supposed to be peaceful are actually much more dangerous than the ones that are, you know, throwing rocks and breaking windows and looting. I prefer the guys that go for the Nike sneakers. sneakers. Let them take the sneakers. They're criminals. As far as I'm concerned, they should be tried for you know, for larceny, for arson, for theft, for whatever, right? And as far as I'm concerned, they should all be prosecuted to the furthest extent of the law, but emptying out some stores is not going to destroy America. What is going to destroy America is this dictatorship that's coming of the coastal cities over the rest of the country, and that's what they want. They want to enslave you, you specifically, each and every one of my listeners, they want to enslave you. They want to take away your rights, okay? And when I see them walk down the avenues in New York and I see people come out of hospitals, nurses, doctors in their protective gear, gowns, gloves, masks, and I see them clap and applaud, I can see the demise of America in, in, in the near future, unless something changes. <sighs> Protesting is a right, it's a constitutional right. It's a God-given right for us under the Constitution to assemble and to, peace, to peacefully assemble and to express our opinion. That's completely true. But that's, on, that's what makes it actually more sad. Because what we see here is lots and lots of Americans who are peacefully assembling to declare that they hate America and they want it gone substantially as it is now. They want a different America. They want a Chinese style America. They want an America in which the rights of individuals are subservient 
to the opinion of not even the majority, but parts of the majority. And we'll continue with that idea in the next thing. Did you know the average person spends 26 years of their life sleeping? The real troubling statistic is that we spend seven years of our life trying to get to sleep, struggling with racing minds, tossing and turning. If you're one of the millions of Americans who need better quality sleep, the time to change is now. Sleep is proven to extend our lifespan, protect against terrible diseases like cancer, heart disease, and dementia, make us more attractive and thinner, feel calmer and happier, and boost energy levels, memory, and performance. Until now, most sleep supplements haven't worked, but a new easy-to-swallow sleep gel invented by the leading nutrition company Healthy Cell is designed to support all four stages of human sleep to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deep, and wake up refreshed. It's called REM Sleep. To get a free two-night supply of REM sleep, visit HealthyCell.com sleep. That's Healthy, C-E-L-L dot com slash sleep. Imagine yourself in June of the year 1917, about 103 years ago, and imagine that you are the citizen of the Russian Empire, or a citizen of the Russian Empire. Imagine that you're spending a lovely June white night in St. Petersburg, where the sun doesn't set in June until 1 a.m., and you're sitting in a lovely cafe enjoying a drink, possibly with your loved one. What just happened in your country? Well, in February of this year, Tsar Nicholas II abdicated and the Russian Empire suddenly became a kind of a republic, you could say, even though that's not yet clear. But things are not looking bad. There is a recently elected Duma, a parliament. There is a uh, duly elected prime minister, Kerensky, and a cabinet. The situation on the front with the First World War uh, is finally improving after the disastrous years of 1914, 15, and 16, when the Russian military was falling back and suffered from significant shortages in ammunition and other supplies. Early 1917 showed significant improvements. Winston Churchill in England remarked how Russia has been gaining the upper hand in its fight against the German and the Austro-Hungarian empires. Russian economy is booming. Uh, new, new plants, new technological installations, new shipyards are popping around all over the place. And yes, there has been continued unrest. There have been demonstrations, sometimes violent. There have been people walking down the street with slogans and some saying this and others saying that and 
talking about the rights of the workers and the rights of the peasantry and everybody wants something but you have confidence that the Russian military and that the brave Russian soldiers and sailors as well as, as, well as the law enforcement organs can take care of that and can ensure public safety and the continued existence of the biggest by land mass and one of the most powerful countries on earth. I mean, as a citizen of the Russian Empire, you belong to one of the most technologically advanced, one of the richest countries in the world, a country that provides agricultural produce to pretty much the rest of the world that is long been called the breadbasket of Europe, a country that is recognized as a leader in arts, whether it's literature, painting, sculpt sculpture, music, a country that produced giants of the spirit like Tolstoy, Dostoevsky, Rachmaninoff and Tchaikovsky. There's a lot to be proud of if you are a citizen of the Russian Empire in June of 1917. The city around you, St. Petersburg, is one of the largest and most beautiful cities in the world. It certainly plays no second fiddle to any other city, including London, New York or Paris. It is world famous. It has the best that civilization has to offer in cuisine, in art, in architecture, in museums. And so you're, you're confident. You feel good about the future. Fast forward to November of that same year, only five months away. The same time difference or the same time span as between where we are now and the November election. Well, what happens then? In November 17, November 1917, the Russian Empire is gone. Russian forces have withdrawn from the front in disarray, giving the Germans everything they ever dreamt of and more. The Russian currency, the ruble, is worthless and Russia has reneged on all of its monetary and financial obligations, both nationally, domestically and internationally. Not only that, you, if you own property, if you have a profession, if you're an engineer, a doctor, an architect, your fate is sealed to be tortured, exiled, and likely murdered within the next two to five years. In November of 1917, Russia is just beginning its bloody civil war that would last two years and in which countless millions would die from 
bullets, from bayonets, from artillery shells, from starvation. And the future will only be worse, much, much worse. In November 1917, the country that you loved so much, your home and the home of your ancestors, has been hijacked, abducted by a ruthless group of opportunists supported by outside forces, primarily Germany, who never had any public support, who dismally failed in the 1917 parliamentary elections, who were a small minority in that Duma, in that parliament, who perversely called themselves Bolsheviks, meaning the big ones, the majority, even though they were a small minority. And their leader, one Vladimir Ilyich Ulyanov, whose brother was hanged a few years back for an assassination attempt against the previous Tsar, and who was sheltering in Germany in Russia, under the auspices of one of Russia's greatest enemies, was delivered by a sealed German train to the Russian border with Finland, where he was then smuggled across to take charge of the so-called October Bolshevik Revolution, really a bloody coup d'etat, a destruction of the Russian polity, the legitimate Russian government, and really the Russian people forever. Forever. Russia has never, since then, regained, or even come close to regaining, its status among the, leader, the leading countries in the world. If you take away the two technologies that did not exist in 1917, substantially, the nuclear armaments and oil, if you take that away from the Soviet Union or from the Russian Federation today, what is left is substantially a third world country of no import, no importance, no impact no influence, no nothing. The arts, well, Russia hasn't produced anything of value in the past 103 years. Not in literature, not in music, not in architecture, not in painting, not in sculpture. The people, the, in terms of their sheer numbers, have only declined since then. Territory was lost. Massive territories were lost. So, from a bright future of prosperity that is built on a thousand years of history, of deep cultural roots, you ended up with 
nothing but destruction, starvation, humiliation, slavery. That's, that's what it is. How did that happen? How did these peaceful protesters, just the same as we see today in the U.S., with the help of some nefarious external forces, again, just like what we see today in the U.S., managed to take down one of the two or three most powerful countries in the world at that time. Can it happen in America? The answer is yes. It can happen in America in exactly the same way that it happened in Russia. It happened in Russia because many people, perhaps not most, but many, lost sight of the fact that no country, no country, no political system can provide a guarantee of success or even of housing, food, income on a basic level to every one of its citizens and to even to every segment of its population. In 1917 Russia just like in 1917 America, there was rampant poverty. Russian peasants in the Urals and in the Ukraine and other places, some of them did quite well. Others were exceedingly poor. But you know what? They weren't really that much poorer than their counterparts in Appalachia in places like West Virginia and Kentucky. There was malnutrition in both of these, both in the Smoky Mountains and in the Ural Mountains. And yet, both America and Russia in 1970 provided a reasonable way of living for most, most of its populations, of those countries' populations. But then, but then America, Russia then and America today are succumbing to those elements, very dangerous ones, that promote this ideology, the ideology of destruction, the ideology of evil, that states that no political system is legitimate unless it can guarantee quote-unquote equality to every single citizen and every single group within its population. The reason that this ideology is so nefarious and so dangerous is that it's utterly impossible to achieve that result. And what you have in then trying to achieve this impossible result is an unholy alliance 
between what we call useful idiots, between well-intentioned but misguided, uninformed, brainwashed masses who believe that this outcome is possible and are ready to destroy everything if it cannot be achieved. And actors, mostly external, who wish the destruction of that powerful country back then of Russia and now of America for their own purposes, whether it's global domination or something else. And this one-two punch, this, these masses that are driven to hysteria by the fact that se some segments, some minority segments in the population are as yet lagging behind for whatever reason, they're driven to hysteria to fix that problem. And, and in fixing it, in, in trying to fix it, they're ready to sacrifice everything that was achieved over many centuries of hard labor by their ancestors. And these external actors, these enemies of the people that provide leadership, financing, clandestine support, that implant themselves within the military and other institutions of their target country, the country that they wish to destroy. America, like any other powerful country, more so because it's the most powerful, has many enemies. And those enemies cannot destroy America, cannot even come close to destroying America. If Americans are united, and if they believe that America is good, substantially good. But they can destroy it. And they are destroying it. And they're pretty damn close to finishing their job if they can convince enough Americans that America cannot be good as long as any Americans are disadvantaged. We need to defeat this ideology. We need to expose those actors who are planting those hysterical ideas into people's minds. In the next show, we'll talk about how we can do that, how each and every one of us can contribute to that game.